Hi, this is Josie Posey. And this is Sylvia Bellavin. And you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, February 25th. And this, this is your Sunday sermon. Today is the last sermon in our series, Discipleship Matters. I hope you've enjoyed this. We've been going at this for the last seven weeks. Today is week number eight. It's what we started the new year with. And the whole idea behind this was we wanted to wrestle with the discipleship demands that Jesus makes in the Gospels. And I think we've done a really good job of that. Let me give you a brief summary of what we've covered so far. Back on the first Sunday in January, we began by defining discipleship. We said that a disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others to follow him. In part two, we learned that a true disciple grows in God's word. They show God's word in their lives by their actions. They know the truth of God's word because they know the Lord personally. And lastly, they go and spread the good news to others. In part three, we established that loving like Jesus loves is the hallmark trait of a disciple. In part four, we learned that Christ must come first in everything, in all things. Then in part five, we completed the thought, if you want to be my follower, then dot, dot, dot. We discussed the call to follow Jesus, and we began unpacking the first two conditions of discipleship, desire and denying self. In part six, we talked about the third condition of discipleship, death. We saw that in the third part of Luke 9.23, where Jesus said to take up your cross daily. And last week in part seven, we talked about the fourth condition of discipleship, devotion. And we saw in the last phrase of verse 23, and follow me. As we close out this sermon series, I've titled today's sermon, Faithful Followers Equal Fruit Producers. Now, the grapevine, think about that for a moment. The grapevine is a prolific plant. A single vine bears many grapes. In Hampton Court, England, there's a grapevine that's reported to be the oldest living vine. It's called the Great Vine. It was planted in 1768, and it's 255 years old. The Great Vine has one root, which is about 13 feet round, and some of the branches are over 120 feet long. Despite its age, the vine still produces approximately 600 pounds of grapes each year. Although some of the branches are 120 feet from the main root, they still bear the sweet and delicious fruit. Why? Because they're connected to the vine. Each branch is connected directly to the stem and draws nourishment from it. Our main scripture reference today is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Get your Bible or Bible app out and open, and let's read that together. John 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for this amazing journey we've been on about discipleship matters. 
Lord, we are so grateful. Teach us today as we close out strong in this about producing fruit for you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. By saying that he was the vine, Jesus was employing an image very familiar to his followers. He often used elements from nature to illustrate his teaching. Things like water, seeds, soil, wheat, fig trees, flowers, and birds. Grapes have always been central to Israel's agriculture and economy and were found everywhere, in fact. The grapevine was an emblem of Israel, much like the bald eagle is for us today. Grapes appeared on coins during the period between Malachi and Matthew. At the time of Jesus, a golden vine hung over the entrance of the temple. In our culture, it would be as if Jesus were walking through a field of corn or soybeans and drawing life lessons from them. But the image of the vine and its fruit has far deeper spiritual symbolism. The grapevine represented Israel's faithfulness in doing God's work on earth. Psalm 80 verse 8 says, You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. Unfortunately, his people neglected to nourish the vine, and as a result, they ended up going wild and losing their fruit. We see this a few verses later in verses 12 and 13, which say, But now, why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass may steal our fruit? The wild boar from the forest devours it, and the wild animals feed on it. God has always had great expectations for his followers. Instead of producing sweet grapes, according to Jeremiah 2.21, his people had offered only sour substitutes. It says, But I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt wild vine? God's desire has always been for his people to be fruitful. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1.28 when he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. This call to be fruitful was repeated and reinforced after the flood in Genesis 9.1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Since a disciple must exhibit fruit, which comes from faithfully following Jesus, a Christ follower who does not produce fruit is a contradiction in terms. An unforgettable display of Christ's expectations for fruit-bearing is found in Matthew 21, verses 18 and 19. In the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. He said to it, May you never bear fruit again, and immediately the fig tree withered up. It's unacceptable, beloved. It's unnatural for a follower of Christ to be unfruitful. After leaving the upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. During that time of the year, there would have been a full moon casting light on a variety of vineyards on the lower slopes of the hill. It's possible Jesus stopped and held up a vine filled with blossoms of a promising harvest and said, I'm the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. This is a remarkable revelation and quite a contrast from a few days earlier where the scene changed from palm branches in the midst of a noisy crowd to the leaves on a vine in a quiet night. There are three main components, I think, to the vineyard, and I want to talk about them with you right now. The first is this. Jesus is the true vine. Look at verse 1a. It reads, I am the true grapevine. The word vine, it literally means root or trunk. It's the part that comes out of the ground and is often not much to look at. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 too. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his presence. 
nothing to attract us to him. There's more going on here in this verse. This is the seventh time in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses the phrase, I am, which is linked to some more vivid metaphors, such as, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And lastly, I am the true vine. The I am, it harkens back to Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush when God self-identified as I am who I am. Jesus is calling himself Yahweh. The second component of the vineyard is the father is the gardener. Look at verses 1b through 2. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. The gardener or vine dresser, as some of your translations read, is literally one who farms or tills. The gardener's primary task is to grow grapes. In order for growth to happen, the ground must be cultivated and fertilized. Pests must be controlled. Weeds must be pulled. Roots must be watered. Vines must be cared for. Grapes must be cleaned and vines must be pruned. A vine needs a gardener in order to produce grapes. The third component in the vineyard is this. It's us. We are the branches. Look at verses 3 through 5. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Beloved, our job is simple. If we faithfully follow Jesus, he will make us fruitful. The only way for fruit to form is if the branch remains tenaciously connected to the foundation or the trunk. Now consider this passage in John 15. I think there are four levels of fruit bearing. Look at verse 2a. This is the first. It says, does not bear fruit, or in other words, what I would call muted fruit. Then again, in verse 2b, it does bear fruit or minimal fruit. Then in 2c, bear more fruit. And in verse 5, bears much fruit. Now, one author I read about this week believes 50% of all Christians bear little fruit and only 5% bear a lot of fruit. Do you think that's true? John 15 verse 16 tells us God expects us to bear fruit. That's why we're alive today. It says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Here's the principle. God loves us so much and is so committed to displaying his glory that he actively prunes, purges, and purifies our lives so we will move from muted fruit to minimal fruit to more fruit to much fruit. If today were harvest day, beloved, how much fruit would you have? Here's the good news, though. More is always possible because you and I were created for this very purpose. Fruit bearing is a sign of spiritual life. Matthew 7 verse 20 says, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So how do we move from little fruit to a lot of fruit? How do we go from minimal fruit to more fruit to much fruit? If we faithfully follow Jesus, he will make us fruitful. Again, Based on our scripture passage today, I believe that there are three ways to grow more fruit. Here's the first. Expect pruning. Notice the last part of John 15, verse 2. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. The person with false faith is cut off while the faithful follower is cut back. If the branch is not fruitful, the gardener removes it. But if it bears minimal fruit, he prunes it so it will have more fruit. 
I mean, it makes sense. The gardener would remove the unproductive branch, but we don't really like that he prunes the productive ones. Jesus performs the ministry of pruning and purifying on every branch. No one is exempt from the cutting and cleansing, which comes from the caring hands of our gracious gardener. We tend to think that productive branches just need a little gentle trim, but personal pruning is often way beyond what we think we need. During certain times of the year, some grapevines are reduced by as much as 80 to 90%. I'm told most new grape growers fail because they don't prune enough. Good pruning creates a strong root system, improves the health of the vine, and most importantly, increases the yield. Some time ago, I watched a video about a vineyard in California that covers 30 acres and learned that it takes 500 man hours to prune 13,000 vines. The caretaker of the great vine in England spends about three months a year scraping branches with a knife in order to remove loose flakes of bark. This is done because grape vines have numerous parasites. Pruning must also take place in order for grapes to grow. You and I have been reborn in order to reproduce, but the only way for that to happen is through a painful purifying and purging process. Pruning yields a bigger and better crop. We all need this because we come into the Christian life with our flesh and the world in us. God is gracious not to hack it all away at once or we'd never survive. But if we want to be like Christ, it's got to go. One author wrote about a large grapevine on the fence he shared with his neighbor. He and his family were looking forward to enjoying some juicy grapes that fall. A couple days later, he noticed his neighbor was hacking away at the vine with some large shears. He went outside and asked, I guess you don't like grapes. The neighbor replied, he loves grapes. Seeing the confusion on his face, the gardener explained, well, son, you can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever seen. You just can't have both. Let's go back to the purpose of the vineyard. Because the goal is to grow grapes, the focus is all about fruit, not the lush leaves or the creative colors. Everything else must be sacrificed for the sake of the harvest. Are you being purified or pruned right now, beloved? If so, ponder these points. Number one, God does not prune us indiscriminately. Because he always follows a precise plan, he knows what he's doing. Since he's working to make us more like Christ, he only removes what's necessary and avoids unnecessary injury. Next, pruning involves pain. The father's pruning knife is sharp, but it's not designed to ultimately damage or destroy us. He uses all sorts of unpleasant things to prune us. Things like circumstances, failures, ruptured relationships, illnesses, and trials in order to get us to bear more fruit. And finally, pruning can last a long time. The pruning process may last longer than a day, a week, maybe more than a year. We really can't say, well, I've been through that and I'm glad there's no more pain coming my way. In fact, the longer a grapevine is alive, the more pruning it needs. Some of us who are older in our faith, we may need to be pruned more than we think we do. Is God pruning you right now, beloved? If so, remember, it's not ultimately for your pain, but for your gain and for God's glory. David realized this when he wrote in Psalm 119, verse 67 and 71. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Do you want to be more fruitful than you are right now, beloved? The only way for that to happen is to go under the knife. The second way to grow more fruit is this. Allow the word to wash you. Let me explain. Look at verse three. 
you've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. In the natural course of time, a branch will grow rapidly, but it will not necessarily go where it should. Left to itself, it will head to the ground, where it's going to be coated with dust and eventually get covered with mud and mildew. A gentle gardener will pick up the branch, wash it off, and tenderly tuck its tendrils back into the trellis where it can do what it was created to do, bear fruit. Beloved, are you playing around in the mud of sin? Allow the heavenly gardener to clean you off and pick you up. Sometimes he sends a disciple your way in order to get us back in track. These painful measures are designed to bring us to repentance so we can bear more fruit again. This has been referred to as the best good news you didn't want to hear. Remember the gardener corrects in order to redirect. Hebrews 12:11 says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The gardener has plans for you, my friend. His actions are intended to move you towards the place he wants you to be. Sometimes he disturbs our slumber so he can shock us with growth. You may wonder what the difference is between discipline and pruning. While they both hurt and are for our good, discipline primarily comes as a result of sin while pruning deals with the problem of self. God's discipline is always intended to be redemptive and restorative. He's more interested in propelling you toward fruitfulness than he is in punishing you. Is there minimal fruit in your life? If so, prepare for some pruning. If we faithfully follow Jesus, he will make us fruitful. I love the prayer found in Psalm 80, verses 14 through 15 and 18 and 19. This is what it says. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted. Then over to verse 18. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. And the third way to grow more fruit in your life, my friend, is to stay connected to Christ. When we come to verses 4 and 5, we see the first command in this passage. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that word remain, to remain, or in some of your translations will say abide, it means to stay, to dwell, or to settle in for the long term. Jesus is saying something like this, live in such a manner that you're at home in me and that I'm at home in you. The word remain, interestingly enough, is used 11 times in John 15, 40 times in the Gospel of John, and 27 times in John's epistles. This is a call to vigilance. We've got to stay closely connected to Christ at all times. If you remain in Christ, you'll produce fruit for the glory of God. Fruit happens when we hold on to Christ. A branch doesn't struggle to grow grapes if it stays connected to the life source. Some of us think bearing fruit is difficult and just for the super saints. Actually, it's not hard at all to bear fruit. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to be faithful and the fruit is the result. If we want our baskets to be full of fruit, then we've got to stay connected to Christ. Faithfulness is our obligation. Fruitfulness is God's concern. It's not a matter of me trying to get some fruit to flourish. My task is to trust, obey, and remain, and he will grow the fruit in me. He will grow the fruit through me. My responsibility is to stay as closely connected to the vine as I can. If we faithfully follow Jesus, he will make us fruitful. 
I'm also not in charge of the quality or the quantity of my fruit. My responsibility, again, is to stay connected to the vine. He'll produce the quality and quantity that brings the most glory to him. The result of spiritual fruitfulness is that God will be glorified, we will grow, and we will go with the gospel so others will come to Christ and be discipled. Discipleship is all about having a close, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Look again at the opening words of verse 4. They say, remain in me. This phrase, in me, it's used five times in verses 4 through 7. There are a lot of people in church or in religion, but that doesn't mean that they're in Christ. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you will not be able to grow fruit. Verse 5 said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The word nothing means not even one thing, not the least thing. Our work and our witness are completely worthless if we try to do it on our own. If you have the courage, take a look at your life. If you can't find any fruit, you need to figure out why that is. Perhaps you're not saved or you need to repent of some sin in your life. The Christian life is a supernatural life and none of us can live it apart from a dogged dependence on Christ. We can do nothing apart from him. All our attempts to produce Christian character will be fruitless and frustrating apart from cultivating a close relationship with the vine. Beloved, have you been drifting spiritually? Are you neglecting the spiritual disciplines? A branch disengaged from the vine will dry up and decay. It's time to strengthen your attachment to him. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and he will come close to you. As the playwright George Bernard Shaw was nearing the end of his life, a reporter asked him a question. If you could live your life over and be anybody you've known or any person from history, who would you be? Shaw thought for a moment and replied, I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. Brilliant answer. Be the man or woman God has created you to be. He has formed you for fruitfulness, my friend. Expect some pruning. Allow the word to wash you and stay connected to Christ. If you do, you'll have more fruit than you can handle. It's time to ask Christ to take our lives and use them for his glory because apart from Christ the vine, we are nothing and can do nothing. If we faithfully follow Jesus, he will make us fruitful. I'd like to close out this series and this sermon today with John 15, 8, which says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Friends, when we bear much fruit, we give evidence to being Jesus' disciple. When we faithfully follow him, we will intentionally help others to do the same. That's fruit that will last. And that is why discipleship matters. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.